The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Brian Kelly, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, the crypto craze rages on as the universe gets past one of its biggest hurdles, tax day. Brian Kelly here says there is one altcoin that is a screaming buy. You won't believe what it is. Plus, from the crypto craze to the cannabis craze, our Weed Week kicks off tonight, and Tim Seymour's mapping the marijuana world, telling you the stocks he thinks are going to light up your portfolio. See what Goodness. we get there? <laughs> but first, we start off with the bull fantasy on Wall Street that is apparently coming true. It's been a dreamlike earnings season for investors as big names like Netflix, United Health are surging, taking the rest of the market along with it. The Dow up more than 200 points today. This is exactly what the bulls are predicting, that earnings and fundamentals would lift the markets higher. The exception being, of course, bank stocks failing to join the rally. But will we keep seeing an earnings season like this? And if so, does that mean the market's heading back to all-time highs? Tim Seymour, what do you Five say? Five bucks who can name Dreamweaver. Anybody who wrote that no song? Idea. Gary Wright. Okay, so our market's going back. Very nice. Trivia. So our market's going back to all-time highs. I, I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. What happened today was very important. First of all, we got follow-through from the tech sector, which really arguably has been leadership. Transports gave you something yesterday. Uh, the fact that technically on the S&P, 2,700 was a very important level to get through. Getting back above the 50, getting back into the trade, I think, is something that's very important. I will say... Um, everybody had been expecting earnings to be very good for this earnings season. They are delivering. We've never come out of a quarter, or it's been about 10 years since we'd had the divergence between the fundamentals in terms of what expectations were on EPS growth versus what stocks did in that quarter. So this doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so, I mean, listen, I think that, like you said, we're expecting good uh, Q1 results, and we really got to focus on Q2 guidance. I think tonight we're going to talk about IBM as trading down 5% in the aftermarket. I think we're going to see massive dispersion between results. Companies that going into this period, there were a lot of question marks, are going to continue to underperform, excuse me. And then names like Netflix, which, which most people were very certain was going to actually put up some good numbers and some good guidance, we're going to perform well after that. That was the market we were in. I think you have to remember that the market we were in for 16 months leading to this sell-off that we had in this quarter uh, one was buy every dip. And if that's what it's been for the while, people are going to continue to do that. And so to me, I just think it's really important. You said the S&P 500, you gave that important level. It was really important that we closed above 2,700. Right. I'll also mention that uh, the S&P 500 was the only index that did not go back to its prior highs when we bounced off the February lows. That's the one I want to keep an eye on. That rotation in financials is really interesting. That was a sector that everyone was so confident about, but they couldn't rally after it. They did act okay into it. So to me, S&P remains really the one to watch in my opinion. What's interesting though is that the markets overall were able to do okay even without the participation of the financials in number two group. Were you surprised right. by that? I was actually. I mean I'm long a lot of financials right. so that was disappointing. They ran up a little bit in front of what everyone knew would be great earnings. I'm really surprised that they haven't been able to participate more. I haven't sold any. If anything I would be looked to be adding here. But I mean to me the tech rally was really important today but I don't think it's over. They still have a long way to go to get anywhere remotely close to where they were, well, maybe not Netflix, I guess today could have surpassed where it had been, but Amazon and uh, Google Facebook. and Facebook, and you know, Facebook a little idiosyncratic, but 
It'll be interesting to me to also see how retail does. We got some little bit of negative economic data on retail yesterday, I think that was. So, and they report a little bit later, but I, I think there's still a little more room to run. So the two things that we've hit on here are expectations and economic data. So we've had very high, very good expectations and very good economic data. Now, if you look at some things like the city economic uh, indicator, city, it, it goes up and down with the economy, economic surprise index. That, and it's a shorter term type index, but that's showing some weakness. So going ahead, maybe you start to see some of these economic data points weaken a bit. It doesn't mean recession, doesn't mean anything like that. Just maybe not as good as everybody is expecting, which then filters into potentially earnings expectations going forward and guidance. So, you know, my, my question is, is this as good as it gets? That's what I would be concerned of. And we've had a decent rally off the lows. I think if you're a trader, you certainly take some off the table here. I don't know if it makes it to new highs, but you've had a good rally. Why not take some off? Well, let's put it this way. All, all of those factors that gave the market a lot of pause, and a lot of people thought it was just the pause that refreshes and off we'd go, and it wasn't. And, and, and frankly, we have not cleared up trade tensions in, in at least... Uh, there's been no resolution. There's been some great statements. There's been a lot of talk, and there's been a lot of talk in the past that's gone nowhere. We certainly have issues in the Middle East. We certainly have issues with, with the Federal Reserve not backing off. If you listen to the, the Fed's Williams yesterday uh, with Steve Leesman, I thought he was very clear is that the Fed, first of all, doesn't care if the market has volatility. Yeah. That's, and that's, by the way, that's great news for people that like how markets function. Um, but I, I think interest rates, which were concerning people, equities aren't worth the same at 3% as they were at 2%. Volatility is down. But do you think that the new paradigm is, is really to... to gone when we say the first quarter was 21, 22 on average with the VIX. I don't think that that is, it was a mirage, and I think that stays with us. Uh, we also got a flattening yield curve, right? Yep. The spread is a, the smallest since 2007 at this point, and you're pointing out the action in China, too, yeah. as, well, as I a mean, you know, we, had, we had Tony Dwyer on last night. We love Tony, and, you know, Tony seems very bullish. He's got a 3,100 target in the S&P 500. He's talking about valuations. He's talking about don't be afraid about a, yield, uh, about a recession until we get that inverted yield curve, that sort of thing. But here's the thing that I think is just really important, you know. I remember how strategists were in the fourth quarter of 2000. I remember how they were in Q3 of 2007 and Q4. These are before prior market tops. No one saw what was the thing that was going to take us down right now. And I don't think it's particularly lurking here in the United States. I think there's some issues in Washington that can cause a lot of geopolitical risk globally. But let's just think about the Shanghai Composite is getting it's, it's getting wrecked right now. And it's really on a huge level, technically near 3,000. Well, so to me, I just think there's things lurking that we're not paying is attention to. Is that all the to. tariff thing? Or are you thinking there's something else fundamentally? Be, I mean, listen, but we just know that. I mean, look, look, here's, here's another one. Home Depot and Walmart are two of the worst acting stocks over the last couple of months as we've seen this huge bounce. We know how important our consumer is. That you put the trade thing back into the mix here, and we have some situations that really could cause your city surprise index to take a dive. Well, and so to add to that, look at what's going on in Hong Kong. They are, they are actually defending their currency, and they're tightening monetary policy in a real estate bubble. So to me, that you, know, you look at the Hang Seng Index, which is the Hong Kong Index, that tracks the S&P very closely. So that's where you can have some contagion from either a currency crisis or they're tightening too much because the Federal I mean, Reserve is. I, got, I think there are externalities. I, I hear you. I got to tell you guys, people have been talking about China. Pointing, it, it, You're right to point it out, Dan, and we talk about all the stuff on our calls, folks. Um, I, I, the, the trade action in emerging markets, they've underperformed the S&P by 4% on the EEM over the last 11 trading days. But Looking at the CSI as a gauge for, for broader sentiment for global markets, no way. It's a local market, um, and I think it's, it's dominated by local flows. China had GDP out last night, 6.8%. I'm not saying that everything's great. We know that they have loan issues. But I, I just don't think that what's trading on in the rest of the world is, is something that is 
we are focused on the five factors we just talked about here, and I don't think it's I don't think it's China's macro. Okay. So with all that said, you have in the past bought put protection yes. at very opportune times. Yes. With the VIX down to 15, are it's, you back in? Absolutely. I bought some S&P put today because okay. I do want to hang on to things. I do want to hang on to my banks, for example, uh, GM. Added some GM at uh, decent prices. I want to hang on to that. So. 15, I think, I I don't think we're going to be in that average VIX 21 or 2. It's very hard to sustain, I think. But, so I'm not going to trade around my stocks. I am going to trade around my protection, getting longer protection here. Yeah. You're I, short? I, let me just tell you this. I, I think the 14 handle in the VIX is a gift. If you, if you, listen, all that we're talking about is very U.S.-centric here. It's all about yeah. corporate earnings and this and that or whatever. And what, what's the Fed going to do? I don't really think they're going to make a huge mistake. I think regular viewers of the program know that I think we are sleepwalking through something that's going to be a massive event here in the U.S. I think there's tape bombs lurking out of Washington over the next few months into the fall where we could see the mark considerably lower. And so to me, when you see VIX at 14 and you have the opportunity to protect your portfolio, I think it makes sense to do so. All right. Well, earnings might be great, but our next guest isn't so excited. Let's bring in Scott Wren, Wells Fargo Senior Global Equity Strategist. Scott, good to see you again. Hey, Melissa. Um, why aren't you excited? Things look to be okay so far. Well, you know, I mean, our year in targets twenty eight fifty, and that'd be a good return overall sure. for the year. I think, you know, today, uh, today was a day, you know, ever since February the second uh, with the January employment report. I think, you know, traders have pretty much run the market, and today. You know, we had the 50-day moving average, the 100-day moving average, the downsloping trend line off the January 26 high. That all came into play, and I didn't see what the final volume was for the day, but we were up against that. Uh, tried to make it over it in, in, you know, going into the close, and it didn't quite work, so it backed off. So maybe Karen's right to buy, uh, to buy some puts in here, but I tell you, I think we're going to stay volatile, and I do think we're going to finish up, and we're going to push, push ahead of these... Uh, push ahead of these um, uh, re technical resistance levels. And, you know, we're not looking for a great year, uh, but we're looking certainly for a decent one. How critical is the price action in financials today, Scott, in that they underperformed the market? At one point, S&P financials were at session lows. Well, S&P tech was at session highs. I mean, it was a real disparity in terms of the way they traded, even though financials, I mean, putting this very broadly, they had some pretty decent earnings reports. Yeah, you know, they did have some decent earnings reports, and tech certainly led the charge. And we are overweight financials. And, you know, if you look at uh, slightly higher interest rates, if you look at better loan demand, better economic growth, I mean, we think all those things are going to help financials. And so, you know, I can't get hung up in the time frame that I'm looking at, which is 6, 9, 15 months, that kind of thing. Um, I can't get hung up on a day's worth of trading, but I think these financials are going to do better uh, by the end of the year, and they're going to catch up a little bit. Hey, Scott, it's Brian Kelly. So you're saying that you're, you're not as excited, but you're still somewhat excited. But that sure. implies that there's, there's potentially some kind of economic weakness coming. What are you seeing that's saying, hey, you know what, earnings aren't going to be as great as they've been in the past? Well, you know, Brian, for us, um, you know, if it hadn't been for tax reform, I mean, we would add a 7% growth rate on earnings, our estimate, this year. So that would have been less than 2017. You know, as it stands right now, we're looking for 16% this year. I think the consensus is somewhere around 19 and change or something like that. So I think the consensus is a little optimistic. Uh, you guys pointed out some of these... Uh, uh, some of these global PMIs are rolling over a little bit. Some of these city surprise indexes, uh, you know, if you look at the Eurozone or if you look at emerging markets, uh, China's, you know, all over the place normally anyway. But you look at some of these things and, you know, you do have to say to yourself, um, 
internationally have we you know have we seen the peak are are, are we going to see some continued follow through in terms of economic growth i mean we think you're going to see a decent year uh, internationally and we think we're going to see 2.9% gdp here so so things are going to be okay but they're not going to be great all right scott great to speak with you thank you all right, guys, thanks. Scott Wren, Wells Fargo Investment Institute. Tim, what did you do today? Uh, yeah, I was rolling up puts underneath positions I want to stay long. Sounds like something Cameron's doing. I was also throwing out some protection on, on, on the indices. I mean, 2,700, you know, to me is not a bad place to actually be expecting this thing to not hold. I mean, we so far until today, we've been seeing lower highs. I, I, I'm kind of with Dan on the short term. I think we chop around. I, that's where I've been. Dan? Yeah, and I think you take the opportunity to kind of put some things out. The S&P is in a clear downtrend. Until we have, I know a lot of people are focused on this close above 2,700. Until we see a close above the downtrend, which is like 2,740, we're not out of the woods. And I just want to make one other point. We're talking about China. We may be in this trade war, this tit-for-tat thing. What was the thing that caused all that volatility in the summer of 2015? It was a deval of their yeah. currency. They hold the cards. They could do that in a second, and they could send the whole world into some sort of tizzy here. So to me, I think we're being a bit the dollar here. was 15 percent higher, though, then, Dan. And that, that made sense. Sure. And I, 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 if anything, you know, the rest of the world could be pointing at us and saying, what's going on with your currency? That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I, again, go back to this is a market that you have to tactically trade. There's not a trend here. If anything, we're kind of in a downtrend. So when you get these big updates, whether you're buying puts like Karen or you're just selling some of the positions that you bought lower, I'm not actually looking to add anything here. You know, I'd be looking to trim uh, you know, things. If I, w if I had overweight positions, I'd be looking to trim. Have you trimmed? Uh, no, not really. Okay. I mean, I, I am would look maybe to sell some upside calls in Apple, but there's still a couple things out there. Airlines are not crazy expensive, and I think just today after the bell, United. I think we saw some good numbers from United. I haven't a chance to go through. I mean, despite the tragedy that happened today, I think the airlines are one where there's still valuations. They've are... kind of given us a lot of these numbers, so I mean, right. and I mean this. It, I'm agreeing with you. We're getting guidance from these guys along the road Delta here. Delta last it's been week. Very good. Yeah. Coming up, speaking of earnings, check out shares of IBM looking more like a nightmare than a dream. We'll have more details on what went wrong this quarter. And as Netflix soars, Facebook is the only thing holding back the FANG trade. So should Facebook get the boot from FANG? Which stock should replace it? We've got a special fast money game. Everybody loves games, right? That's next. Plus, Brian Kelly here is buying one controversial Bitcoin he says is about to break out. He'll tell us what that is and why he's so excited. And later, it is Weed Week here on Fast Money, and Tim Seymour is going to break down the fast coin world of pot and the stocks he thinks are about to heat up. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. As you heard right here on last night's show, Netflix reported a blowout quarter and shares went streaming way higher today. But the Facebook fallout is taking a bite out of the fang trade. Take a look at the year-to-date performances. Facebook down 4%. Amazon and Netflix both up big and Alphabet eking out a gain of 2%. This comes as the Wall Street Journal says stock pickers ready to take the Facebook out of fang. Oh. And that gave us the idea for a brand new game we are calling... We love games. Yes. Brilliant. But first, but first, let's meet the star of our Wheel of Fang. You might recognize him as our all-star page, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. All right, good job Hi, there. Um, rules here are simple. The traders will recommend a stock that will replace the F in, for Facebook in Fang. So let's play. We can do this. 
What should replace Facebook and thank? First contestant up, Tim Seymour. So, Tim, pick a letter. Uh, Mel, it's really great to be here. Um, I'm playing for my team back home. And, uh, we have limited anyway. time, Tim. Okay. <laughs> T for Twitter. Uh, bottom line here is I think Twitter is the closest thing you're going to get to an online social platform. I would have picked Tencent because I think they're really the global version of Facebook, and I'd rather own that. But these are American companies. This is Fang, not Stab. Twitter. And so it would be Tang T for tang. you. And the astronauts drank Tang. Of course. Karen Feinerman, yes. your letter, I'm, please. My letter B for Bang and Baba. Nice. We have some excellent growth, not a crazy valuation at all. Then you got a number of other levers and financial. They've got a bunch of different equity things. I like Baba. If bang. he were here, he'd say Bada Bang. <laughs> but he's not, so just Bang. So you're saying it. Yeah, bang. Uh, Brian Kelly, up Europe. Right, I can't buy a vowel, right? Because I don't, I'm, I'm confused. All right, I'll go with, I'll go with T for. Taiwan Semi. Ooh, so Tang. And the reason why I like this, everybody's trying to figure out how to play cryptocurrency. Miners, they're going NVIDIA, they're going AMD. But guess, who's, guess who fabricates all these things? Taiwan Semi. That's the way you play. The decentralized. I love this is a global show now. See, I yeah, thought you would have gone Nang. Nang. Or, or, or Ang. Yeah, Ang for AMD. Oh. But it doesn't roll off the tongue. No, it doesn't. Nah, right? Definitely yeah. not. Definitely yeah. not. He wanted Actually, to buy this a vowel. Game's really a bet. I mean, let's yeah. be clear. <laughs> I was going to go with Ang. We're lucky oh, we got the T. limited time. Dan, your letter, please. You know what? I hope you spin the wheel and go bankrupt. Chop, chop. Dan, letter. for Pang. That's PayPal. Nice. We all know the story here. Obviously, strong sector shifts towards mobile payments. They got the Venmo. They got a lot of stuff going on here. But here's the thing that I'm most interested about. This company is expected to grow earnings 20% a year for the next few years, mid uh, to high teens revenue growth for the next few years, trading about 35 times. Yeah, it's expensive, but I think it's actually growth at a reasonable price. So to me, P, PayPal, Pang, and just a little side note. 1995, UPenn Quakers, Lacrosse, Ronnie Pang, who's our goalie, called anyway, the Great can, Wall can, of China. Can we keep moving? You couldn't yeah. get anything by him. You couldn't get anything but by him. We're now watching that. reruns of Ryan, the Ryan, thank you. I didn't know you had such skills. Um, Story was painful. Ryan or Paige. Nice, nice job, nice Ryan. Job. Fantastic job. Um, but in all seriousness here, should Facebook get kicked out of Fang? Fang, of course, being the cohorts of, of the high-tech, high-momentum But what does that mean, trade. kicked out of Fang? I mean, who's... Like, what, not what a month old? Is that what you mean? Like, Fang isn't not an index that people have to follow. Yeah, I mean, you know... psychologically, okay? She's talking about one of the... But if you were to pick the four... The four tech stocks that symbolize growth in the in the tech sector and momentum, would they be the current FANG? That's the question. Well, I, look, I think Facebook's been out of FANG then for a couple of years. And, and I think the, the bottom line is if you want to replace so it with something else, yes. it's in a... Yes. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think if you look at the three of those, yeah. the FAA stocks, FANG, Amazon, and Alphabet, they all have the same issue. They're all facing the exact same issue that Facebook is that the fact that people don't want their data out there uh, to be used and sold issue. by them. It's the exact same no, issue. It's, it's, it's all, all data Amazon goes through those guys. Uh, Amazon is Amazon Web well, Services. They're, they're they're getting every time you shop on Amazon, they get what do you think? What do you think that government listing device thing they sell is? The Echo? Well, it doesn't seem to be holding back the other two stocks, though. And, and, and I, yeah. would, I would make an argument that there's a regulatory overhang over a few of them. Um, and and that, that is something that I think is weighed on Facebook. But, but again, I don't think they are in the same business. And I, you know, I don't think you're saying that. But I agree. They're not in the same business. But what I'm saying, the issue of data privacy and centralized Internet is something that I think we've reached peak, peak centralization, which means you don't want to be in FANG stocks. I, I think this will blow over in terms of people's privacy. I mean, I, I, so I, I think Facebook, to know if they really should continue to be in FANG, I don't think it'll be a this quarter event because I think we're going to see a ton of expenses loaded onto that model. 
I think it'll really be the quarter or two after that. How much does that really affect their growth? What can they earn on this money machine? So I think the jury's still out. I'm surprised nobody proposed Square. NVIDIA? Well, so, so, yeah. so, so PayPal is part of this whole conversation with, with Facebook. And last week when this thing was trading at 160, you know, or below that, I mean, my view is this, is that if this company, you know, it, there's regulation about, you know, their, their core product, I think they have a lot of levers to pull. They have a billion users on WhatsApp where they could figure out how to monetize that possibly through payments, possibly through some CRM products, you know, with, with the enterprise. There's B2B opportunities. I just think there's so many opportunities here. I think the opportunity in Facebook investors, if you're long this thing, you'd love to see it underperform for a little bit while all this news is coming out and you really set up for the next 10 years. This is a company, when they went public in 2012, had $5 billion in sales. They're expected to do $55 billion this year, 70 next. They're not done. They're not out of fang. But it could go sideways for a while. All right, coming up, General Electric soaring today as the company gears up for what could be its most important earnings report ever. Former GE insider Bob Nardelli says there is one thing the industrial giant needs to do. He's speaking out right here on Fast. I'm Melissa Lee, and you're watching Fast Money and CNBC First and Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up. One man, one coin, and a purchase that will rock the crypto universe. BK's bull call is coming up. Plus, while Bitcoin soars, cannabis stocks are going to pot. It's a little harsh. You bet it is. But the ambassador says, now is the time to take a hit. And he'll give you the names he sees having smoke and returns when Fast Money comes back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Well, the dreaded tax day has arrived for crypto investors and Bitcoin actually bounced. But it wasn't just Bitcoin that saw a tax season miracle. Altcoins also rallying in the past week as well. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE with more. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. You know, there's been a lot of hope that sentiment is going to be improving in crypto land. It could certainly use it. So we had a brutal march. All the cryptos have improved in the last week, though. Bitcoin's up 16%, Ethereum's up 23%, Litecoin's up nicely, 18%, Ripple's up 35%. This is just about the past week. Many are citing the end of tax season as a major factor. Now, this is a good start, but it can't change the fact it's been a lousy year, and not just for Bitcoin, but all these altcoins have been terrible. These hit all-time highs in December or January, but look, Bitcoin's 59% off its historic high. Ripple or XRP is 75% off. Ethereum is 63% off its all-time high. Litecoin, 61%. They're all terrible. In total, the market for digital coins has shed over $500 billion of its value from the all-time high. That was above $800 billion. Remember, what we did that. It was the beginning of the year. Bitcoin, which had a value north of $300 billion in December, is down to $137 billion. And there were similar drops in Ethereum and Ripple. Now, altcoins were rallying throughout most of the day, but they turned down late in the afternoon, with some citing the New York Attorney General's office. Now, they sent letters to Coinbase's GDAX Exchange, the Gemini Trust, Bitflyer, and 10 other cryptocurrency exchanges requesting that they complete by May 1st a questionnaire on areas like ownership, fees, trading suspensions, and money laundering. You know, there's a part of the crypto world that is crying out for more transparency, and there's another part of the crypto world that I think wants to remain very anonymous. And every time you get these kinds of things going out, you see little dips in the market. I think that was a definite factor today. Melissa, back yeah. to you. Uncertainty is not good. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. Well, in the midst of this altcoin rally, BK here says it is time to buy one coin in particular. That's right. Forget about Bitcoin. BK is buying 
Bitcoin Cash. So we want to bring in the Bitcoin Cash bug the corner of your screen because he's at the plaza to tell us what has got him so bullish. Beats. Yeah, so let's take a look at this. Now, I know this is obviously a bit controversial, but, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, they do trade together somewhat. So let's take a look at what's going on here, why I think it might be a time to buy Bitcoin Cash. We're in the Monty Python zone. What do I mean by that? Remember that movie, Monty Python? They said, oh, you're dead. And he said, I'm not dead yet. Well, mostly dead. Bitcoin Cash has been left for dead. Things just gotten absolutely crushed. So maybe it's mostly dead, but it's not dead yet. We've got a potential breakout coming, and we've got increasing volume. So when I look at some of those technical indicators, that's what I want to see. So let's go, go to the charts here. Look at where we are on the chart. All right, this is a longer-term chart. So we have right here at 790. That was support right there. It has now become resistance. If we get that breakout, you're looking at higher moves. So let's go to the next chart, which is a shorter time frame so we can see what's going on here. You've got this down move here. We are now starting to form what Carter might call a triangle or a wedge, something like that. But look at this. Volume there. Volume there. Those are the first things that traders look at, the first thing that I look at to say something might be changing here. So again, looking for a breakout there. You're going to need a continuation of the Bitcoin rally, but Bitcoin cash, not so bad here. BK, right. question for you. The volume thing is interesting to me, but a lot of haters of Bitcoin Cash in particular, what do they hate so much about it? So, I, so what it all comes down to is really who owns the name Bitcoin. Uh, some people are saying, which is the real Bitcoin? That's the big argument about it. I'm not taking sides. I'm a guy who just wants to buy low and sell high, but it comes down to what is the real Bitcoin and what is the true so-called Satoshi vision? I'll let everybody else decide that. I just want to make money. Dan? Uh, we thought you were Satoshi. Um, <laughs> he could Not be. as far as you know. Any, he should right. never know. So, hey, real quickly, Beeks, you saw that move in Bitcoin today. It just dropped like 400 points in a straight line. And obviously, Pisani just said that it might have been related to, um, you know, the New York AG. Are we seeing an issue with liquidity right here? I just seem like, you know, last week when, when Bitcoin bottomed, it went up in a straight line, like 15%. That just seems like kind of odd, especially in the volatility regime we've been in this year since it cracked. Actually, I haven't seen any problem with liquidity in our trading. We've actually seen a lot more liquidity out there in the market. Uh, today's reaction, I think, was just simply just simple market action, just a correction after we've had this big run. New York Attorney General probably doing the right thing. Really, it's just an information request. They want to find out what's going on at these exchanges. That's a good thing. Most of the exchanges that they did uh, send letters to are fully compliant and, and are doing things the right way. I mean, GDAX is Coinbase. It's a big company doing things the right way. So I would be buying the dip on this, on this news. By the way, we have a poll on Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. Are you buying Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash? So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. We can uh, see how you vote by the end of the show here. Thanks for that, Beak. Still ahead, pot stocks suddenly going from hot to not over the last month as a number of key players in the space take a hit. But Tim Seymour here has got four names that could be ready to fly high again. He'll break it down. Plus, it's a make or break week for General Electric as the embattled Dow stock gears up to report earnings. So what can traders expect? Former GE insider Bob Nardelli will be here. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of GE surging. Yeah, you heard that right. Surging over 3% today. But the worst performing Dow stock is still down 21% so far this year. And with the industrial giant reporting earnings before the bell on Friday, will it be a complete earnings bombshell? Dom Chu's back at headquarters with what we can expect. Hi, Dom. 
Well, Melissa, it's going to be a big day for all of GE stakeholders on Friday. You know, it's pretty fair to say that investors haven't been buying into the GE story just yet. So here's how things stand as we head into that big Friday earnings report. According to Thomson Reuters, analysts are looking for, on average, earnings per share of 11 cents on sales of around $27.5 billion. The options market already pricing in what could be in a 4.5% move up or down in the stock around this report. But the focus is going to be a lot heavier on commentary from company management about how the turnaround plan is progressing and what exactly is next. CEO John Flannery has his work cut out for him, trying to reinvent one of the most storied companies in American history, and he'll be doing a lot of homework on what his predecessors perhaps did and did not do. You know, I worked for Jeff uh, for you know directly for the last 10, 12 years. So, you know, the Alumni, if you will, have unique perspectives. And I, I still remember calling Jeff shortly after uh, starting the job. He used to always say, hey, every job looks easy until you have to do it. And I remember calling him saying, I, yeah, and I, you know, I understand that, you know, uh, well now. So their perspective is, is invaluable to me. Friday morning, Melissa. Will GE be able to reassure investors that it is on the right path? is its 3.5% yield. That's 12 cents per quarter. Is that dividend safe? Remember, it was just last week when analysts at Cowan called that dividend safety into a bit of question. Back over to you. All right. Thank you very much, Dom. Chief, for more on GE, we're now joined by Bob Nardelli, who was, he actually did the job there. A couple of jobs, big ones. He's GE's transportation CEO from 1993 to 1995 and the power system CEO from 95 to 2000. Bob, it's always great to get your perspective. What does Flannery need to do? Well, I think, uh, you know, John has, uh, has a huge challenge in front of him, as, as was just said. I think uh, on Friday he really has to deliver on some of the commitments that he made, you know, back in November and December with the analyst meeting. $20 billion worth of assets to sell. I think one down, 19 to go. Uh, he talked about uh, taking about a billion dollars of uh, cost out of power systems. You know, my experience, you better get 250 in the first quarter because then the hill just gets steeper as you go through the year. So, you know, I was really glad to see the stock went up today on the announcement on, on health care and the factory in the box. I mean, I think that's very positive. If he delivers on some of the commitments that he made to the street, then I think we could see the four and a half up. If we don't hear that and we don't get reassurance on the dividend that we aren't getting cash from operations, as opposed to, you know, GE Capital used to fund the dividend, and that's, of course, gone now. I think uh, it, could be, it could be a tough call. If you were in Flannery's seat, would you defend the dividend at this point, or would you opt for more financial flexibility so you're not in a tight free cash flow position later on in the year? Well, I, I think uh, the disappointing thing is, you know, if you're going to pull the Band-Aid off, go all the way. And I think there was some hesitancy, you know, when John took over. He knew he had to do something didn't want to go the entire amount, talked about $20 billion worth of assets that he was going to sell. Uh, you know, we talked about transportation was the first one on the street. Then there was an issue of, no, we're going to keep it because we got an order. Then we were going to IPO it, and now we're talking about some type of mix like uh, the Baker Hughes deal. So I think decisiveness, a quick yes, a quick no. I think John and the board have to really provide confidence of clarity of where they were going and implement. I mean, this is all about execution now and speed. You know, you got to be looking at your watch, not a calendar.
So would the worst thing he could do be to say we're going to just continue to study the, these divestitures more? Well, I, I think, you know, if you had a new uh, CEO to the company, you could give he or she a little more time. You know, as John said, he, he worked for Jeff for 10 or 12 years. He's been in the company close to 30 years. He worked in corporate a long time, so he had the advantage of looking at all these businesses. I think he kind of knew what he had to do. It's just a matter of, you know, having the courage of conviction to pull the trigger one way or another. But I think, you know, what I hear from all of my colleagues is the indecisiveness or the lack of clarity on direction, the concern over pension. What do we got? $31 billion of unfunded pension. You got over $130 billion of debt. You got uh, $20 billion of increased goodwill. You got $10 billion of non-earning assets. I mean, there's a lot you could be doing, uh, you know, in selling non-earning assets to generate cash to cover that dividend to give the street confidence, I think. Right. One of the things that, that, let me put it differently, where's the place they can surprise us to the upside? And the, obviously, energy assets are getting a better bid because the energy business has recovered. Power, we just got some bad news, but maybe some of that's out of the way. Yeah. Um, transparency on what all the insurance underwriting needs are, are is probably the biggest issue for the company. But what do you like to the upside if there is anything? Well, the upside would be that they, in fact, did drive more free cash flow from operations, that they did get cost out, that they drove productivity, that they got margin improvement, maybe through pricing or better, better relationships with the supply base. So I think that would be the upside that would really be great to hear, you know, on Friday uh, for the earnings call. Right. Great. Um, with all that said, Bob, and knowing what you know, seeing what you see happening at the company right now, would you say or would you tell investors to stick with the stock? I think that's what you guys do here. <laughs> You're a shareholder, right? I think we got our answer. <laughs> You're a shareholder, yeah. Bob. I'm not a shareholder. You're not a shareholder. No. Would you, we buy, got the, our answer would you buy the stock here? Uh, I, I would wait to see a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to yeah. jump in just yet. I, I, I really want to look. I love GE. Uh, I started my career there. Jack Welch is a dear friend, and, and he was an unbelievable mentor to me. Mm -hmm. And so I owe my whole career to, to GE and Jack. And so I'm pulling for this, this company sure. and the people and, and who, who worked so hard when I was there at transportation and lighting and appliances, GE Capital, medical, power systems. <laughs> so, you know, I have a ton of friends that are just very anxious about their future. You're pulling for the company, but you're not buying it. I love this company, and I'm pulling for John. He's got a huge challenge in front of him. I hope he delivers on Friday. All right. Great to see you, Bob. Thank you for your insight. Thank you. Bob Nardelli. What do you think? I think a clear message from a veteran like that is better than him coming on telling us to buy the stock here. I mean that seriously. I think that, you know, when you think about it, a lot of people could be critical and say, oh, you know, how are you going to bring, how, how's the guy who's been there like Flannery going to fix the problem? He was there the whole time. So, um, I, listen, I'll just say this. It's great to hear what they need to do. I don't think in my career, in 20 years in the business, I've never seen a story like this, as messy as this, not reverse after a massive capitulation. So, you know, the stock's been down, what, 30, 40 percent since Flannery took over. I think there needs to be a bloodletting. And, and I'm not oh, we saying, haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen the capitulation yet. It's been a yet. slow drip. And I think that's oh. the best way to do it is really slash that dividend, do this, you know, just get it all out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, certainly ripping the Band-Aid off, which is what Bob said, I think I'm not sure if they've missed that opportunity. But what, what investors want from this company right now is total transparency, no surprises. They're getting on their own with, with at least how they're now restating the the, the earnings, I think that's what these company needs. 95 cents or a buck or buck 20, doesn't matter right you now. You own it, so BK, what do you do? I wait for Warren Buffett to buy in. I wait for that washout and Warren Buffett comes in, then I buy.
still ahead. A big bust for Big Blue. The Dow Giant now down nearly 6% following its earnings report. We'll hear from the C-suite on what went wrong and what the company is saying about blockchain. Plus, it's Weed Week here on Fast Money, your very own marijuana master. Tim C. with the stocks. Stocks. He's got four pot stocks that could be about to light up. He will give us the names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Podstock GW Pharma. It's actually a pharma stock. Lighting up today on reports the FDA could be on the verge of approving one of its marijuana-based drugs. The news taking rivals insists higher along with it. But it hasn't been cushy for all the marijuana names. Kronos, Canopy, Emerald Health, and Aurora taking a big hit over the past month. So what does this all mean? How can you get in on this cannabis craze? Tim Seymour's over at the Plasma kicking off our special weed week in honor of 420, of course. Um, Tim's been hot on the marijuana trade for a while, and he's going to map it all out for you, Tim. So I'm going to fight through all the sound effects and the, the, the comedic uh, run-ons. But the, the bottom line here is this is a very real industry. That's a global industry. It's probably $200 billion when you consider recreational, medical, wellness, lifestyle. Um, as, as Mel said, I've been invested for a few years. I sit on the board of a U.S. private company called Tikkun Alam, which is uh, an Israeli company that's selling all of that stuff eventually when it's legal, but it's certainly growing here. And I want to get into why cannabis, because I think for people that have nothing to do with this industry, I think there's some things you need to understand, first of all. One of the things that's going on in this country is that this is not a red state, blue state issue. A majority of the country, the majority of the country is in favor. I'm trying to underline that, and it's not working, and it doesn't matter. Bottom line is 64% of the people in this country would like to see marijuana legalized. We know what's going on state by state. Massive, massive revenue for the states. This is a state's issue, by the way, and it's becoming a very big political football. Obviously, we know about the opioid con uh, crisis in this country. There is no question that marijuana has proved to be uh, alleviating a lot of the pressure and taking you know, a lot of people off of these horrible drugs and putting them on things that are not as addictive. In fact, they're not addictive at all. It's not a gateway drug. And this is where I think the entire world is coming to grips with this. But certainly, we have these issues in this country. Veterans are clamoring for it. That becomes a political football as well. Finally, the social lubricant side of this is also very important. When you think about the substitution of recreational cannabis for alcohol, and, and ultimately, who are the people that are probably fighting hardest in Washington to keep cannabis uh, scheduled as a drug that should not be allowed to be legalized? It's big pharma. It's big alcohol. Although, you know, look at Constellation Brands, who did a big deal with, with uh, Canopy. And, and ultimately, this is telling you that a lot of these guys actually think they're not only playing defense, but they're playing offense offense in this sector. So you are seeing substitution effects. Um, here's what I want to talk about, the, the breakdown of the indice, because I think ultimately people are, are very aware of what's going on in recreational. Um, I get it. You know, we all know what's going on there, although I would say for a lot of people, recreational is a much more complex market. It's a much more global market, and it really is a substitution effect. Medical, we know what's going on there. And then ultimately on the wellness side, well, what I can tell you is that's the path that everybody draws from. They go from these three, and ultimately it's leaving leading to lifestyle brands. Let's get to some of the names because I think these are some of the big players. We want to give you names that are big market caps, that are well-known companies that are executing every single day. We talked about Canopy. They would be the big recreational play. I mean, ultimately, I think this is the company that really is out there. They've said the biggest kind of market cap land grab. GW Pharma, Mel talked about them today. Their, 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 uh, their drug, Epidiolex, is something that actually could be the first FDA-approved botanical drug. Um, bottom line, MedRelief, another big name in medical. And then Afria, this company was started by the largest drug manufacturer uh, in Canada and in new, uh, food supplements and nutraceuticals. So these guys are going to be in the wellness side of this trade. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to get into this the rest of the week.
Aaron, you got a question? Yeah, I do. So a lot of the macro events you lay out are very interesting, but how do you think about valuations? It's got to be big revenue growth. What kind of growth are you looking for? Well, you know, ultimately, you have to think about any growth company. What's the investment they're making in their growth for next year and the year after that? And, and, and a lot of the criticisms that have come, Barron's had a very nasty article a few weeks ago, although it was appropriate in terms of the valuations of these companies. On some level, they're not worth uh, the valuation that investors are paying, except for the fact that these companies are reinvesting and it's a land grab and it's not just here. And Canadian companies are buying up assets in the U.S. and in Germany and in Uruguay and in Australia. So that's how I think about valuations. How do you think about valuations in any growth industry? You can make any sense out of them you want to. All right, Tim, for, thanks for the breakdown. And um, don't worry, Weed Week continues. We've got an all-star lineup, in fact. Tomorrow, we'll be sitting down with the CEO of Aurora Cannabis, one of the biggest players in the space. Thursday, we've got top Wall Street analyst Vivian Azer and Friday, former Massachusetts Governor William Weld, who just joined the board of a marijuana company. He will join us as well. Coming up, check out IBM sinking in the after hours, and you won't believe what the company just said about blockchain on the earnings call. We'll bring you those comments. We are live at the NASDAQ market site in New York City's Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. IBM out with earnings after the bell today. That stock is sinking in the after hour session. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with the latest from the conference call. Hey, Josh. Melissa, on this call, the subject of blockchain very quickly came up. Take a listen to what CFO Jim Cavanaugh had to say. We also continue to make progress in emerging areas like blockchain. We've grown to over 50 active blockchain networks since the release of our IBM blockchain platform in the third quarter last year. And last month, we announced a beta version of our IBM blockchain platform starter plan. Designed for startups, developers, and companies of any size that want to quickly stand up a blockchain network. In the first two weeks, we had over 750 networks provisioned. Now, besides blockchain, though, there is some disappointment here, specifically with margins clocking at 43.2%. The street had wanted to see something closer to 45.5%. IBM on the call saying, listen, we did include certain charges in our operating results. Without uh, the impact of those charges, we actually would have improved that gross margin trajectory. Um, Tony Sakanagi, actually, um, an analyst that we, we all know here uh, from Bernstein, actually just asked this question. With the IT spending environment as robust as it is, he asked these executives. Isn't this as good as it's going to get for IBM? Uh, those executives obviously disagreeing with that, saying, listen, we posted revenue growth of 5 percent. We were up modestly in constant currency. Uh, we saw strong growth in strategic imperatives. They talked uh, specifically about that enterprise cloud business. They said IBM feels confident in the right product portfolio with the right team. Melissa, back to you. Thank you very much, Josh Lipton. By the way, IBM has traded lower off the back of its first quarter earnings report since 2009. Every single first quarter since 2009, it has traded lower. This according to Bespoke. What, how do you like IBM right here? Well, you have liked it. I have liked it because I don't think they get enough credit for what they're doing in blockchain. I mean, the issue that you have here is really revenue growth. The street wanted to see revenue growth on a constant currency basis, meaning taking out uh, what the U.S. dollar added to it. 
you got zero revenue growth. So it's a big company with a lot of different moving parts. I love what they're doing in blockchain, though. They're, the Hyperledger product that they have interacts with public chains, with different coins. I think that's a huge, huge opportunity for them. doesn't trade like a blockchain stock should trade, though. Well, no, it, it trades like a company that's got a mainframe year, business. And they might have done $75 million in products and services related to blockchain. This year, it may double. This is a company that's expected to have oh, $80 billion in sales. It doesn't move the needle. It doesn't really matter. It's a nice little thing. I think the most important thing is that Cognitive Solutions, we all know what's in there. That's that dude, uh, your buddy Watson or something like that. Oh, yeah. Grew 6% year over year. I mean, if this is one of their faster growing businesses, one of their more exciting technologies. Trouble. So to me, this is a company, I've been saying it now for three years, needs to be broken up. All right, sticking with earnings here. Twitter flying high today. Shares soaring nearly 12% following an upgrade by Morgan Stanley. Options traders are betting on even more gains when it reports earnings next week. Let's get to Mike Cohen Austin to break it all down. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so we're seeing about a 14% implied move uh, for earnings next week, which is well above the 10% average and over double the average call volume today. One of the interesting trades I was seeing was the May 35 calls, over 4,000 of those trading for about a dollar. So those would be bullish bets that Twitter could rise above 35 by that dollar or above 36 by May expiration. 14%. Wow. Thanks, Mike. Mike Cohen Austin. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Earlier in our show, our own crypto baller Brian Kelly said he was buying Bitcoin cash. So we asked you on Twitter if you agreed or if Bitcoin was a better bet. And you know what BK listens to when he gets wrecked? Oh. Unbreak my oh. heart. Oh. It was really a landslide for Bitcoin, actually. Yeah. 80%, 81% exactly voted Bitcoin, 19% Bitcoin cash. I like being a contrarian, though. Yeah. That's where yeah. I make the best And I trade. like Tony Braxton, so anytime we yeah. can hear her, life is good. So Final trade time, Tim. So much for that. And I like that thing Mike Co did on Twitter. Twitter. Bye. Yes, happy birthday, my little twins, Kate and William, not Aww. so little anymore, and Anthem. Aww. Two very important things. Thanks. <laughs> well, for me, I think there's currency volatility coming. You want to buy some GLD gold. Yeah. yeah, I think sentiment got really bad in the Twitter. Obviously, you saw that 11% um, rally here. I think you're going to see that in Snap and feel the entire earnings gap in Snap. Happy birthday, Kane and William. And oh, happy birthday, you. Mary Duffy, if you're watching. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> you back here, five more fast. Mad starts right now. Mm -hmm. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.